0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Life Hacks Podcast on True Story FM. I'm Shelly Boucher. Sometimes life feels like yesterday's stale fast food. It's passable, but do you love it? Well, let's love life. Here we explore simple, clever ways to make your life better and less stale. Guests from all walks of life grant insight into their approach to making life more enjoyable, less stressful, and filled with abundance. Today's special guest is the amazing Karis Nafty and she, Karis, I'm gonna let you tell a lot about yourself but you've been helping people with their pets for about 25 years and I cannot wait to hear more about your story. Um, I'm gonna kick it
1: to you, sister. Thank you, Shelley. So yes, I've been um, helping people with animals for the last 25 years or so and in various ways. So I'm a dog trainer And I'm an animal behaviorist and an animal behaviorist, which most people know is someone who helps with people having troubles with their pets. No, no one calls me when things are going well, let's put it that way. (laughs) So, (laughs) so if they're having troubles of, of any sort from like the puppies peeing on the carpet to the dogs are killing each other and everything in between, um, I go in to help with that. And then the other thing that I do that I help as quite a specialized skill is I help divorcing couples figure out in a divorce who should keep the dog, which is obviously a delicate, tricky conversation to have, but that's what I do in a nutshell. So today, yeah, we're going to be giving people some tips about how to make their life with their dog a lot less stale and and hopefully... <laughs> um, a little bit more fun and maybe not so stressful and not so frustrating, which it can be.
0: Absolutely. All the ways to keep it fresh. I'm sure you can share with us. Um, Why don't you let us know a little bit about the pets that you have and anything interesting that's going on with them? Well,
1: I have too many pets. So (laughs) I've got four dogs. I had six dogs and two of them passed away last year. Mm. So now I've got four dogs and I've got three cats. Now I'm actually doing this podcast on pure adrenaline because I'm exhausted because I didn't sleep last night. And the reason I didn't sleep last night was my one little cat was a feral cat who I found after he'd been hit by a car and I named him Leonard because I got him the day that Leonard Cohen passed away. So he's named after Leonard Cohen and Leonard is now loves me a lot, but like many cats who were feral at some stage, if he feels stressed or if he feels, um, unsafe. He just wants to disappear and go outside. And he's had something wrong with his eye. And I've been trying to get him to the vet. And every time I get him inside to feed him, he runs outside because his eye hurts. And cats often hide when they're sore. You know how cats do that? They won't come, like dogs will come and tell you and they'll show you their foot and they'll say, save me and take me to the vet. And cats go, you might eat me now because I'm vulnerable. So I'm going to go hide in the bushes. (laughs) <laughs> so I got Leonard inside last night and I closed all the windows and the doors to the bedroom. And Leonard was up all night trying to get out and I was up all night with him because how can you sleep with a cat trying to scratch out the windows. Oh. And so it was <laughs> He's fine now. He's been to the vet. He's had his eyes sorted out. Everything's fine, but it was You know, it was like worse than a newborn baby, it felt like. I know I've had babies, so I could say that. It's like, I just, I didn't sleep at all. I was up with my cat the whole night who thought I was locking him in prison forever.
0: Oh, no. Well, hopefully this morning has brought some sleep for your cat and some upcoming rest for you. Yeah, I
1: hope so. Yeah, I'm going to have a nice nap after we're done.
0: (laughs) But actually, we should share with our audience that you're in South Africa. So it's actually, you know, maybe towards the end
1: of the day for you, right? Yeah, it is. Yes. So I'm so I'm originally from Oregon and that's where I started my work with dogs and that's where I studied. And about 15 years ago, I came to South Africa on vacation and I decided to stay. So I live here now and I work online all over the world, but I actually live in beautiful Cape Town, right on the bottom of the African continent, right by the sea. It's very beautiful here.
0: That's amazing. I, I envy your sense of adventure for having moved someplace after visiting. It's really cool. So let's talk a little bit about dogs. Um, this people are coming out of a year of COVID, and you know, uh, COVID puppies. It's it's a thing. Adoption rates increased um, thirty to forty percent over the last year, which is great for rescue animals. But now, what happens is these puppies are getting older and people are maybe overwhelmed with that sense of energy that they hadn't quite expected as opposed to picking this companion for being in quarantine.
1: Yeah, Shelley, it's a real thing now, the quarantine pups and and I would really like everybody listening who did get a, you know, a puppy or an adult dog during quarantine to kind of take a deep breath and go, you're not the only one who might be struggling a little bit right now. <laughs> Some so, kind of puppy meditation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, just ohm through it and it's fine and and we're going to get you through it. So a lot of people got dogs um, without really thinking it through. Um, they got dogs sort of as a, as a reaction. I think it was a like the toilet paper thing. People all started getting <laughs> toilet paper and they were getting dogs, you know, is the whole story. <laughs> and now it's like, what do I do with a cupboard of toilet paper? What do I do with this 10-month-old, huge adolescent dog in my living room? There's a few common problems with the lockdown pups. One of the most common problems that people are seeing are issues with separation anxiety. Now, separation anxiety is one of those terms that gets thrown out a lot. People love to blame everything on separation anxiety. Um, and basically, what it means is when you leave your dog alone, they can't handle it and they either chew things up or they chew on themselves or they scratch through the door or they scream and bark or, you know, you name it. And part of the reason for that is if dogs. Whatever dogs do in their life, they have to get used to. It has to be part of their normal life. And during lockdown, of course, everyone was with their dog twenty-four hours a day. Mm-hmm. So nobody, nobody practiced leaving their dog alone, and that's what you have to do for your dog to be okay with it. So that's a real big thing, and we can maybe share a couple of tips about how to do how to actually fix that one. That's a common problem, and I think a real common problem also is that people haven't had the chance to work on outside manners with their dog.
0: Right. Or just like socializing them in general, right? Like how do they get to be social with other dogs when we haven't even
1: been around our other people for so long? Exactly. We are not social anymore and neither are the dogs. It's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, they haven't learned to be social. They haven't sort of learned to focused on their owners, even when they're outside. You know, a lot of people find it's like their dogs are like Jekyll and Hyde in the living room. They're so loyal and they're so well-behaved. They do everything you say. And as soon as you're outside, they don't even hear you. They just chase the squirrels and they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> so they haven't had that sort of normal sort of chance. So the good news is it's all fixable. You just have to take it one step at a time and you have to be realistic with it. So can I just give a couple of quick tips about that just so people get there? their go tips. for it?
0: That's awesome.
1: Okay, so a couple of quick tips is, first of all, if you have more than one dog and they have forgotten their leash manners outside, you should walk your dogs one at a time, okay? If you have more than one dog and they're not sort of beautifully behaved, they will be a bad influence on each other. So it's best to do practice the skills that you want to work on, like coming when called or greeting other dogs nicely, first as individuals. Once they're doing that consistently or more consistently individually, then only then should you kind of try to venture out with two or three or four dogs, however many you have. So that's a good little tip for people. The other thing is for sort of separation anxiety issues. Um, A very nice thing to do is whenever you leave the house, first of all, try to do it when the dogs are tired. So you need to practice leaving now. Okay, we have to take a deep breath and leave our houses again. So (laughs) um, try to take your dogs out for some exercise first so they're a little bit relaxed and, and a little bit mellow. And then when you leave, you wanna, it's great if you can leave them with a chew toy or something to keep their mouth busy. Now there's a million things that dogs can chew on. If you're not sure, you should ask your vet. I'm not going to tell people what to do because there's allergies and various things, but your vet can tell you what is safe. But what you need is something delicious. (laughs) You need to give your dog something to chew on that they are like so excited about. Okay. Don't just give them a stuffed teddy because that's not delicious. It's just cute. It needs to be delicious. And that they can chew on so that when you leave home, they've got something to do with their mouth which is then they can't chew on the things that they shouldn't chew on. Um, And what you should try to be doing now, everybody who's got pups is to try to leave the house a few times a day for very short periods. I'm talking five, 10 minutes so that your dog gets bored of you leaving (laughs) right now. (laughs) If leaving is like an event, it's like, Oh my God, you know, mom and dad, they're, they're leaving. They've got all their stuff together and your dog starts to sort of, you know, act funny and act worried. If you leave four times a day and you come back in a few minutes, they're going to be like, whatever, you're coming back. And the whole thing settles down quite a lot.
0: I have a tendency when I leave and I have an older dog, I'll be like, okay, Gandalf, I am leaving the house for about one hour, but then I will be back. And I don't know that he is, you know, he doesn't understand that full sentence, but I always feel like he's like, okay, I can sit in my
1: bed for one hour. And and does he does he does he manage? Um,
0: you know, well, this year of COVID, he's definitely had somebody in the house at all times. So that's probably an older practice. But I think that was more for me than for him actually knowing that I was coming back. But he he used to be very well behaved. He's not as well behaved now. And we never did anything like crate trained our dog. Well, how do you feel about crate training your your pets?
1: Well, crate training is really helpful, but I just want to go back to what you were saying because it's a really good point. And then I'm going to come to crate training. Great. Sorry to change course no, quickly. No, it's but great. So with, with, with this sort of, okay, I'll goodbye and I'll see you in an hour. Of course, he doesn't understand because dogs don't speak English. Okay. Sorry to break it to everybody. They don't. <laughs> they can learn words. Obviously, they can learn individual commands, but they don't understand sentences. But what that does is it calmed you down. Mm-hmm. So when you left you were like it's going to be fine and and dogs pick up on our mood they tend to sort of copy our mood or reflect it a little bit so if you apologize when you leave if you're like I'm sorry I don't mean to leave you it's going to be okay that that dogs interpret that like something is wrong and then they ah. do get very worried about you leaving it's like oh my gosh what's mom so worried about so I'm I'm putting human language on it but that's that's how they perceive it So the best thing to do when you leave is be really boring and just go, okay, bye dog, whatever. Like I love you, but no, no big deal. Be very, very like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, like really boring about it. (laughs) And that will, that will calm the dog down more than anything. So, so that's what it does. Yes. Good to know. As far as crate training goes. Yeah. Crate training is a very good, um, it's an excellent tool to keep your dog out of trouble. It's not necessary for every dog. If you've got an older dog, you know, it isn't like you should now, everybody doesn't need to crate train their dog. If you have a puppy, it's a very good way to contain them so they can't get into bad habits like chewing on stuff they shouldn't and those sort of things. I don't believe that dogs should be in a crate all day while people are at work. I think that's too long. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it should be limited to, you know, a a couple of hour chunks here and there. So To me, crate training is like any tool. It depends how you use it. So I've had to really work with some people who bought a dog that was a very, very, very high energy dog. And rather than exercise it, they just leave it in a crate all the time. And it's like, no, that's not cool. That's not what a crate is for. However, if you've got a high energy dog who gets plenty of exercise and still wants to chew on everything, it's a great way to contain them and only give them good chewing options. And that's what's really helpful about crate training. So use correctly, brilliant, excellent tool. Absolutely.
0: Nice. That's great. So, And I want to ask one more thing, an extension of the being boring thing, because puppies can be so excitable. And dogs of any age, let's say... um, I had a dog previously that would always pee on the floor when when people would come over. Is there a way for that to be more boring so that
1: dogs don't let their bladder, let them know how excited they are? Yes, it is. So you should be flattered because dogs only do that if they just love you to pieces and they're so (laughs) excited you came home. It's an ultimate, it's the ultimate gift. A dog can give another gift, another dog, sorry. Um, So, but it is a habit and it's a way of being very, very submissive. It's a a submissive. Gesture. It's a, it's a very polite way for a dog to greet a very big dog. And I've got four dogs at my house and one of them is huge. And then I've got three more medium sized dogs. And my one dog is a super tough dog. He like doesn't take any crap from anyone except for my big dog. And every time he sees my big dog, he pees. He's five (laughs) years old. It's the funniest thing. It's like, if you see him on the training field, he's like, wow, that dog's super cool. He does movies with me. He's rad, but he always pees when he sees Hemingway. It's quite sweet. So anyway, to answer your question, the best thing to do for that is first of all, to have the puppy come outside to greet people so they don't pee on the floor. And what people need to do is they just have to stand up and not lean over the puppy or the dog, because it's the leaning forward that to a dog looks like you're trying to sort of loom on top of them. And the natural response to that is to roll on your back or flip over and pee. So stand up straight and be as calm as possible. That's the best thing to do.
0: There you go. It's good for your posture too, standing up straight. Bingo posturing and teaching the dog to posture correctly it all goes yes. together
1: <laughs> exactly exactly
0: so uh, other pet manners let's go back to um, leash manners with your dog because my dog is a terrible walker because he is so very excitable and he just he's like a natural runner if um, you accidentally leave the door open he's 11 years old and he will still run like the wind um so that's kind of a different thing but being outside is just so exciting for him. So I'd love to know a few quick tips about how to help my dog be a better walker.
1: So this is a tricky thing because walking is boring, right? <laughs> Dogs want to run. They don't want to walk. Who wants to walk? Okay, so so the realistically, the way to teach a dog to walk nicely next to you is first of all, to be very realistic about it. So it's not, what is not realistic is that You know, you're going to teach your new dog, whether it's a puppy or an older rescue dog, um, that from this day forth, it's only going to walk next to you, kind of marching and heel. It's just not realistic and dogs can't really learn like that. So one of my best teachers, um, she was this wonderful top, top obedience competitor and we were doing a workshop with her and she said it so beautifully. She said, if your dog can't heel for three steps what makes you think it can go on, be in heal for a whole walk? (laughs) So you have to actually think of healing in steps. So what I like to do to teach dogs this realistically is I have two lengths of my leash. So I might have a six foot leash that I obviously can pull into my hand that's close, but that's a little bit longer. And one of the easy, wonderful tips to teach a dog to walk on a leash is to take your dog, no, this only works if you feed them Um, like pellets. You can't do this if you feed them raw food. You have to use some other treats, but you want to use treats and you can use your dog's normal food if they love their normal food. It's like use it as training currency rather than giving it for free and put the the treats in your training pouch when you go on a walk and you hold a handful of the treats in your left hand if that's the side you're going to walk your dog on. And every few steps, you give the dog a treat for staying next to you. And I count. So it's like one, two, three, treat. One, two, three, treat. One, two, three, four, treat. And you slowly draw out. It's like the treat waltz. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the trick is you have to reward the dog for going so slow. Because naturally, they don't want to go slow. They want to run and sniff and and do all of those things. So that's what the treat accomplishes. If you just pull on your dog, which a lot of people do, all that happens is your dog pulls on the pressure of the leash. So you're just playing tug-of-war with the leash, basically. Your dog's got his collar, you've got the other side, but they're not learning anything there except to pull. So I will practice with my dog, rewarding them with food as they walk to create that habit. And then I will sort of give them more freedom on the walk. So I'll have a different word. I'll say, okay, and hold the end of the longer leash and give the dog a little bit more physical space from me. So obviously you have to be mindful of traffic and, you know, use your common sense about where you are. And then I will ask my dog to come back into a heel position. So with a new dog or a young dog, I might have them heal for nine steps, and then they can have their freedom. And then they come back for nine, ten, three steps, that, that sort of thing. So you do it step by step, not walk by walk.
0: Nice. That's a really easy way to break it down into a more manageable chunk. I really like that. Because sometimes it's really hard for us to, to think, because we think the way that we think as people that, as you said, they don't speak English, but to us, they absolutely do. I mean, we're so used to thinking that they understand us with all the things that we say, but if we just break it down into a chunk, it's much easier for us to communicate, I think, with our lovely little
1: dogs. Absolutely. I think it's very, you know, what I hear people say to me a lot is they say, my dog doesn't listen to me. Yeah. And what I say is, no, no, your dog doesn't understand. They always listen, but they don't understand you. And, and they have to be taught, um, the, the smaller you can break a piece of a lesson into, the more your dog can learn. When you're trying to teach sort of a whole concept at once, they they don't get it. So you do you have to do, teach them, set them up to be successful. So whatever you're asking of your dog, you want to make sure, can they do it? Are they in the right mood? Am I in the right mood? Are we in the right environment? Um, otherwise, it's just not going to happen. And everyone just gets frustrated.
0: And what about the idea of you know, different dogs being more intelligent. For instance, right now I have a standard poodle and people are always like, oh, they're so smart. And he's, I I guess he's smart. I don't know, he's eaten a lot of chocolate in his days. So sometimes I think he might not be. But, um, you know, as far as breeds of dogs, there are certainly some that people categorize as smarter. Are those ones better to have? Or what do you think about
1: all that? Smart dogs are interesting, or the concept of smart dogs, let's put it that way. There certainly are breeds that have a very high degree of intelligence, and very often these are dogs that um, were bred to sort of work in tandem with with a person. So, you know, like border collies, I've got a bunch of border collies, and they're bred to herd sheep, and they're obviously very smart. So, first of all, there's different kinds of intelligence. Terriers, like a Jack Russell terrier, they have hunting rat intelligence, so they're very smart to hunt rats. They're not especially smart at listening to people. It's <laughs> a different kind of smart <laughs> because they were—they weren't bred. Jack Russell, a ter- um, I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, but terriers in general were bred to do their job without people giving them any direction. So they follow their instincts and they go where the, they go where they hear the rat and they kill it and they do their job. Other dogs, like a husky, let's take a, a sled pulling dog, they're just bred to run in front of people. Yay. <laughs> and the only dogs that have to sort of turn or stop is the lead dog. But most of the dogs in a sled dog team just follow the dog in front of them. So they also don't have much listen to people sort of intelligence. So the kind of dogs that people tend to think are smart, which is true, I mean, is, is dogs that are very, very tuned into human instruction. And those are the dogs that, that people go, "Oh it's so easy to train I didn't even have to train him mean, He like trained himself and those kind of cool dogs. The problem with those kind of dogs is they listen to everything you say so you have to be mindful of everything you say and that kind of intelligence needs a tremendous amount of exercise so the biggest um, myth or the biggest thing I'd love to educate people about, if nothing else, is that the more intelligent a dog is, the more exercise it needs. And being smart does not make them a good dog. It doesn't make them automatically a better dog. They're actually sometimes the very worst dogs because if they don't get sufficient, a sufficient outlet for their intelligence, those are the dogs who become very destructive and, and have all kinds of weird behavior problems because it's like they're intelligent just sitting inside them like a stick of dynamite looking for somewhere to go. <laughs>
0: and you don't want it to go off.
1: You don't want it you don't want it to go where they're going to send it. And and so other dogs that are perfectly intelligent but they don't have that like you know Like we've all seen the the YouTube videos of the dogs that can climb up cliffs and, you know, all the, all the awesome military dogs. It's like those dogs are so cool as long as you're in the military. But if you're not, what are they? They can't sit on your couch and watch TV with you. So those dogs will become horrible often. I mean, I don't, obviously not all of them, but they have the potential to become utterly impossible as pets because of that. Easygoing dogs might not have that ridiculous intelligence, but it makes them the best pets. Those are the great dogs. Those are the dogs that are just happy to just go with whatever's happening and, and just a simple joy to be around. So you don't need the smartest dog in the world to have a good dog. You really don't.
0: Right. And most of the great dogs I've had have been um mutts, you know, mixed breeds from a rescue that Who knew what their intelligence came from? But I was always happiest with them because they seemed the happiest with me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know what's awesome about crossbreeds and mutts is that they're very often so healthy because nature just kind of, you know... If, especially if they lived on the street or anything, the dogs that survive there to breed are often very healthy and very often mother nature will put healthier genes together. So, yeah, in terms of just basic intelligence and being healthy, a mutts are a great option and they're just fabulous. So one of one of the things I do that's my, what you'll love, Shelly, is that I do a lot of, I train dogs to work in movies. So I, nice. I train dogs to do acting things. And a couple of, well, it was a few years ago, We there was a play of the movie, Annie. You remember Annie, Little Orphan Annie? I'm a big fan of musicals. And I, had to tra- <laughs> I had to train Sandy, the dog Sandy. And this was a play. So this was not on a film set. This is sort of a live audience. And we had two different Sandy dogs. And they were beautiful mutts, like these fabulous, great dogs. And just the most, such smart, fabulous dogs to work with. And they had to do all these super complicated tricks on a, on a stage in front of all hundreds of people. So it was a big pressure every night, but we had a great time.
0: That's awesome. That's so exciting. And so most of us though, we're not training our dogs to do um, big sets, which is cool, but inaccessible to most of our audience. So what do you think about just training dogs in general or helping curb um, m- bad behaviors? Like let's talk about chewing. Cause I know that comes up for a lot of people problems with that.
1: Chewing is one of the few hobbies available to a dog. (laughs) So dogs can, dogs can chew, dogs can bark, dogs can dig and dogs can run. And that's kind of their natural energy outlets. So for dogs that chew, so dogs will tend to gravitate to one of those four hobbies when they're bored. So for dogs who chew a lot, the default position that owners should t- should understand is they're most likely not exercising their dog enough because chewing is a really, really fun thing to do when a dog is bored. And if they're not, and and there is no one right answer about how much exercise any one dog needs, but dogs are always honest. And if they're chewing, they're probably not getting enough of the right kind of exercise. So, What I would suggest to people if there is a chewing issue is that they should, first of all, notice the texture that the dog tends to go for. So dogs, some dogs prefer um, hard, crunchy things like the edges of wicker furniture or wood or the side of coffee tables uh, or remote controls, things that are quite hard. You'll get some dogs who like to who like to gut soft things, like they'll rip out the stuffing of pillows or the couch cushions or the teddy bears or the or the bed comfort or some things like that. Um, and then you'll get dogs who go for very things that smell of their owners, so they'll chew on shoes and underwear and cell phones. Um, so first of all, notice what is it that the dog is going for, and then you want to try to meet that same need in an appropriate with an appropriate item. So there's a million different sort of, um, sort of chewy dog toys out there. So that's my, my first advice is what are they looking for? How can we mimic this appropriately? And then when they're left alone, you can't leave your dog in such a way that they can chew on stuff if they are a chewer. So you can do a crate like we were mentioning earlier, or sometimes it's just just a matter that when no one's home, the dog's in one particular room, Um, that doesn't, that's sort of dog-proofed. And then you want to leave them with the things that they should be chewing on so that they don't have access to the things that they shouldn't be. And then, then, as I said, look at the exercise. And for many, many dogs, they need two moments of exercise in the day. They have to get out in the morning and they have to get out again in the evening. And if they only go out in the evening for a walk and you go to work all day, then they often chew because what else are they going to do?
0: Right, they have to have some hobby
1: during the day. Exactly. They can't watch a DVD, so they're going to chew. (laughs) No Netflix and chill for them. (laughs) No Netflix, yeah. But the thing is, what's, what's really tricky about chewing in dogs, and this is true about any destructive behavior. So we were saying earlier like about leaving, that dogs always watch us. They're very, very tuned into our mood. So when we come home and they have chewed up something that we didn't want them to chew up, obviously we're going to look angry. And your dog will see that. And your dog then will look like they're apologizing. They'll look guilty. And I put that in big air quotes, guilty. <laughs> and <laughs> and they're not guilty about what they've chewed on. They're scared of you because you're angry. So if you had come home, let's say, and the couch had not been chewed up. And I mean, please don't. I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying, use your imagination. But you imagine that the couch had been chewed up and you acted in the same way, your dog would act just as guilty. They would act just as sorry because they're reflecting on or they're they're responding to your body language. Mm-hmm. But they are not saying, I'm so sorry, because I know this couch was expensive and valuable. And I know I have a concept of money. Now you're gonna have to buy a new <laughs> couch. And I'm sorry about that. They're not that complicated. <laughs> they are just responding to body language so that's a long way of saying that it's never fair to punish your dog after the fact when they've chewed something because they won't understand why they're being punished they will just be scared of you and it's a horrible thing like my my saddest thing that I ever see is people who share those you know have you ever seen those guilty dog videos like dog shaming videos like oh no. Rover chewed up the tiles okay I, probably just my world I get these but but people that's terrible. It's really terrible because from my eye, all that people are doing is they're shouting at their dog for something they chewed on, whatever, an hour ago. And the dog, in, in, in their deepest doggy way, is saying, I'm so scared of you right now. All I can do is try to make myself small.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's just awful to see. So, so if the dog chewed up something when you're out, it's your fault because you let it happen, not the dog's fault.
0: So we all need to work on making sure we have those good things accessible to our dogs. That's a great tip. I really like that. Then what about other um, hobbies or curving those like, um, you know, a dog who barks all the time because, you know, they've got lots of warnings
1: or things to give to their owner. So first of all, barking, we have bred dogs to bark. So we've, we've, wolves don't bark very much, which is quite interesting, but dogs have been taught or, or bred selected over the generations to tell us when someone's coming near the house. So it's important for people when they are thinking about getting a dog, when they do their research, if they're getting a a purebred dog, that in the breed descriptions, you know, they always describe the breeds and they'll say, oh, this dog is a good watchdog. And you know what that means. (laughs) They bark. bark. (laughs) (laughs) They're a barker. (laughs) Watchdog barker. So, um, so the, if your dog is barking, there's a couple of things that there's, here's a few simple tips. The first thing is, if it's at a particular time of day, depending on where you live, like if people are going to work in the morning near your house or you're near a school and there's kids, try to bring your dogs inside and close the blinds during those specifically busy moments because visually blocking the barking will help quite a lot. The worst thing to do when your dog barks is to run outside and say, shut up dog, because that sounds like (laughs) Like
0: you're barking with them.
1: Yeah. Literally, Literally, you are barking with them. If you say, be quiet. If you say, stop it. If you say, no, it doesn't matter what you say, you're making noise with them. So that doesn't accomplish what you want. So what I show people to do is If your dog is in the yard and they're barking, the best way to deal with it, if you're home, is to go outside and look at what they're barking at. Because part of it is they're trying to tell you, listen, something's happening. So you go out and you sort of make a show of looking at the fence. And then you go, okay. And then you walk inside and most dogs will follow you. They'll go, oh, that isn't anything to be concerned about. Part of the franticness of dogs barking is that nobody comes to see what they're barking at. So there's this like dad, mom, everybody, stuff's here and nobody acknowledges it. So for some dogs, it really works to just go and have a look and you say okay, thanks and then they settle down. Those dogs, if you do this enough, they will still bark, but what you're teaching them is an off switch. So you can say, okay, thanks dog. You're not getting excited. You're not barking with them. You as the sort of big dog in the house are saying, "Thank you for showing me. That's not nothing to worry about." So that's the one thing that helps. Now, some dogs will bark because of what I call the postman syndrome. And this is the postman syndrome. Your dog is in the yard, the postman or the Amazon, maybe we should say the delivery guy, there's no more. (laughs) The delivery person arrives at the house, the dog barks, the delivery person leaves, and the dog thinks that they have accomplished a great feat because they chased this person away from the house or your neighbor is walking to the end of the drive you know doing a walk around the block as your neighbor approaches the house the dog barks and the neighbor carries on walking for some dogs they love the fact that they feel like they've chased people away from the house and that's what happens when they bark it's a, we call it a self-reinforcing behavior and sort of behavior language so those dogs if they're barking for fun rather than to sort of tell the family something's happening then it's good to try to block off what they're barking at visually that they can't see it so much. Or some people, if they really have, if you've got a really problem barking dog, um, you might, sometimes it helps to sort of section off the yard so that they don't have access to the whole yard because dogs, they'll like run around in a loop. They kind of have a, like a pattern that the, in the yard, we like on we call it. The, yeah. the zoomie track. Exactly. <laughs> and if the barking, if the barking sets off the zoomie track, if you interrupt it, that can also help quite a lot to settle it down. But what I said about chewing also applies to barking, that barking is a really wonderful way to, uh, for a dog to burn off steam. So also to go back that if your dog really isn't getting out enough, they're going to be a lot quicker to make noise and to bark at stuff.
0: And what about that um, other hobby of dogs digging?
1: Yes, right. Okay, so digging—just give up. No, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, but in all seriousness, if you do have a dog who really is a big digger, there's different reasons dogs dig. So uh, husky dogs—they like they—they they like to dig to sleep in a hole because it cools them down. So that's quite natural. Um, then there's some terrier dogs who who. They just, of course, they just want to dig because they've been bred to dig and look for things. It is nice when I say give up if you can, if you have the space in your house to create a digging pit for your dogs. So if you can find a section off area and you can make it, you know, a three foot by three foot spot and separate it with some wood and in that you put topsoil and sand and soft things and you can bury treats in there, you can give your dogs a legal digging area that they can quite enjoy. So that is is a nice thing to do if you if you have a sense that your dog is just has a deep, deep love of digging. It's like, don't forbid it, give it a legal spot to go. That's great. I like that. Yeah. As far as the rest of the yard goes, it's really helpful if the yard, if the yard kind of stops the digging. So you can try different things like you can get um big, like big stones. And if your dog is dug a little hole in the garden in the grass, Temporarily put a stone there till something can grow back. You can get different um, like small chicken wire fences and put it flat on the ground and stake it down. That can also stop them. Depends kind of depends on the dog. If you are planting a fresh, beautiful flower bed that's irresistible to a lot of dogs because you've just churned up the topsoil and like, oh, mom's just dug here. Let me help. And then they'll carry on and (laughs) dig up the plants. (laughs) This is what we're doing now. We're digging here, right? Because you just spent all day doing it. So I, if you are planting a flower bed, try to put up like temporary fencing or something so that the dog, um, because they will dig there with the, with the, the churned up soil. And Try not to leave your dog unattended in the garden. If you do see them digging, just go out and say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, kind of distract them away from it. But you don't want to get furious about it. You should never get furious at your dog. But from a training point of view, it won't work. Because if you get very, very angry when your dog digs, they'll just dig when you're not looking. That's all it's like that's all you're teaching them
0: how to be sneaky when mom's not here it's safe yeah
1: when when mom's not around digging is great and when mom's around it's bad so that's all so so it's better to sort of communicate with them and then give them something else to do. So give them something appropriate to chew on, show them the digging area, you know, different sort of things like that. Um, And young dogs do generally go through a digging phase as they grow, almost regardless of breed. So first of all, kind of prepare yourself for it, take a deep breath, try to find some appropriate places for them to dig in and Gently redirect it when they are do it, but don't get too angry. Otherwise you just get a sneaky digger.
0: (laughs) So, so much of this points back to helping our dogs exercise, as you mentioned, twice a day, if you can do it, but let's say you can't let your dog, you can't take your dogs to a dog park and let them run loose or anything like that. What are some other good ways to exercise
1: your pup? Okay. So that's a great question because yeah, it's not, I mean, in a perfect world, we could all go to the dog park, but not everybody can, not everybody has dog parks. So part of exercising dogs is just keeping their mind busy. So if you're interested in training, there are a million wonderful training, even just anyone how-to dog training things on YouTube. Um, You know, just look look for people who use positive methods. You don't want to be yanking your dog on a chain. It's just outdated and unnecessary. So look for people who are using positive reinforcement and you can teach lots of dog, any dog, loads of tricks. And when I say tricks... I just mean you're teaching them a skill. So sometimes when I say tricks, people go, and I don't want my dog to do any fancy tricks. I say, listen, your dog doesn't know the difference between something we would consider frivolous and silly, like, you know, giving a high five or rolling over and something we would consider valuable and serious, like lying down and doing a stay. It's all about teaching them something. And the more you teach your dog, the the, the more they bond with you and the more they're able to learn. So teaching your dogs things exercises their mind. Taking them for a drive in the car is like TV. Dogs love it. So if you go if you can just I tell like I tell my mom like my clients who've got kids, you know, it's like just take the dog when you drop your kids off at a friend or when you pick them up from school. They just love going out on an adventure with you. So that's a really fun thing to do. Now there's some really if I mean this applies more to listeners in like bigger cities, but there are wonderful apps now, and I'm not gonna mention any one specific one, but you can find them where people advertise safe fenced places where dogs can run. So if you don't trust your dog to come back if you let them loose in a in a big dog area there's a lot of wonderful tools where you can, you know, it's almost like Tinder for dog parks. It's like oh, safe dog park <laughs> near me. And then they can show you <laughs> swipe right on everyone. So s- swipe right on everyone. Yeah. Or like, I mean, some people have dogs that are aggressive and of course like not all dogs are able to be loose with other dogs. It's not safe, but they still need exercise. So for those dogs, those kind of um, services are really invaluable because they can run and they can, you know, burn off all their energy and things like that. So Different chewing things are fun. There's a lot of um, really fun toys that dogs involve with their food. So rather than eating their food from a bowl and just eating it for free, they have to look for it and find it and 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 do all sorts of things. So there's there's very fun food brain games for dogs. So, so those are some fun ideas, but try to break up your dog's routine. Try to get them out the house. Even if you are able to take them to a park, try to take them to different parks um, and that sort of thing. Those are some good little tips for dogs.
0: That's great to know. I have a big dog, I think I mentioned earlier. And when we think about getting another dog, for some reason, the small dog is so attractive to us. My, I have uh, younger daughters who think it would be great to have you know, a small puppy or even just a small breed of dog. How do you feel about big dogs and tiny dogs uh, living
1: together? Interesting question. So let's just let people pause and think about the different sizes that dogs can come in. Can you think of any other species on the planet that is the same species and have come in such different shapes and different sizes? Okay. A lion is all like lions are all the same size (laughs) as each other. So dogs are, because of how we bred them, are in a very interesting position where you can have a baby that's three times as big as an adult. You can have a Uh, a Great Dane puppy and a sausage dog adult in the same house. And that's a totally unnatural situation because in nature, adults are always bigger than babies. So imagine you had a 12 foot tall toddler you're having to deal with in the house. That's what it's like. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You just can't. And what would happen with the toddler, is you'd actually become scared of it. and and any attempt to discipline the toddler, the toddler would think is funny and would hurt you potentially. Okay, in my in my weird example, so with dogs, you have to be smart about getting dogs of different sizes because it's yes, it's very very cute if you think of having a Great Dane a Chihuahua or a. I had a client the other day who had it was a husband and wife and they couldn't agree on a breed. He wanted a tough dog and she wanted a cute dog. So they got a bull terrier, you know, the big white dogs with the sort of egg head and a pug. And the poor pug just couldn't deal with, the bull terrier was totally friendly, but it was just too much dog for the pug. The pug physically was overwhelmed. And the bull terrier was so frustrated because he couldn't play properly with his friend. So I try to advise people that if you have a young, strong, active dog, If you're going to get that dog a friend, you should get a dog that can be kind of match them physically and energy wise. Um, Otherwise, it's frustrating and and it's frustrating for the stronger dog and it's scary for the weaker dog. If you've got a dog like your situation where you have a larger, older dog, then it's easier to get a little dog puppy because your older dog is just going to be irritated with puppies. I hate to tell (laughs) everybody this. (laughs) they don't older dogs find puppies terribly irritating and wish they would go away for the first few months that you have them so a bigger dog can deal with a small little puppy easier than if the roles were reversed so if you had an older chihuahua and you were getting a standard poodle puppy I'd say for your chihuahua's sake I wouldn't because (laughs) the puppy is going to step on it all the time (laughs) right right and it's just a little bit. Fr- it's it's cute. It's like oh, it's so funny. But it's 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 kind of a little bit difficult for the dogs. And obviously, there's a million people who have different sized dogs who are great friends. So it's like not that you can't do it, but just mostly think about it from the perspective of the smallest dog. How are they going to cope with the twelve foot toddler in the house? Um, and is that going to be okay for them, or or is it going to be a bit overwhelming?
0: That's so funny. What a great tip. It's one of those things that is so obvious when you explain it, but otherwise, you know, it seems, it seems like a difficult proposition. Thanks for making it so clear. Here's another thing. Um, when you do have a puppy and they're like bananas, Karis, you know, in the morning, like they, they don't even need any coffee, unlike me who needs a good solid three cups to start the day. How do you,
1: how do you handle that, that, the puppy crazy morning time? Puppy crazy morning time is horrible because you want to sleep or you need your coffee or you just want to read the newspaper or you got to get the kids to school. Puppies go really bananas in the morning. They've like had their full night's sleep and they're ready to rock. And you better be ready to rock with them because if you don't, they just start doing all kinds of horrible things. So you have to understand that all puppies are quite excitable in the morning. And you have to plan ahead about what are you gonna to do to deal with this puppy's excitement? Because it won't work just to say, go away and don't do it. So with my own, whenever I have a puppy in my house, I like to get like, there's a lot of different food puzzle balls. They look like a they're like the size of a small soccer ball, but they're harder plastic and you can put the dog food inside of it. So that the puppy has to kick it like a soccer ball to get the food to fall out. And there's a lot of different brands. You can look at the different options. That's a really good idea because it will take your puppy half an hour to eat and it will keep the puppy busy while you're trying to make breakfast. Dogs in the wild, they never get their food for free. It's always difficult. Hunting is difficult. Whereas like cows just eat grass, you know, and that's not difficult. (laughs) But but all predators... It's natural for their food to be their thinking thing because that's how they eat. So it's like, yes, you should make food difficult. You shouldn't make food easy for dogs to eat. That's boring. That's how they engage their mind and all kinds of stuff. So that's a good game. I find a lot of people... I'm sure some people will resonate with this. Um, If you're wearing a bathrobe, your puppy thinks it's a chew toy. Always go. (laughs) And if you're not, if you're just, or (laughs) or if you're wearing a nice, I mean, remember when we went to go to offices, when people wearing dresses or just a nice jacket, anything that flaps near the puppy, they will want to grab and chew on. So I always have long, soft, tuggy toys for my dog. So I, with puppies, I always recommend people get about as long as your leash. Like a, a braided with soft, felty fabric, a braided toy—not a hard rope, but something that's maybe as thick as your wrist—that your dog can grab with their teeth—and that toy can save all of your pants and all of your <laughs> dresses, because in—and these toys I don't leave out all the time. So I have I have two categories of toys that I recommend. So that there's the everyday toys that sort of boring toys that live on the ground and your dog grabs them when they want to. And then there's the, the special sacred toys that only come out at certain times of the day. And when they come out, it's very exciting for the dog. And this nice long tuggy toy should come out in the morning. And when you walk, when you get up and you are walking from your bedroom to the coffee maker, you drag this toy behind you and your puppy can grab the toy, not your clothes or your children's feet or your hands or they just they're alligators puppies they gotta grab something <laughs> because as they have to grab something you it's a great training opportunity to teach them to grab an appropriate toy and then they can kill it and they shake it and they you know they pretend like it's a snake that they've killed and that they can take their energy out on that. And then you can engage with them and tell them they're very clever and da, 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 da. Sometimes I'll, <laughs> if I'm really in a hurry and when my daughter was small, I used to tie it to my ankle. And when I was feeding her, I would have the toy. I would sort of rock my foot back and forth and the dog would chase the toy as <laughs> I was rocking my foot. That's amazing. <laughs> so so those two, a tuggy toy to drag behind you and and food, interesting food games that the dogs can play by themselves are both good little morning tips.
0: I think that they need these food puzzles for adults too to keep them active and busy. I could use that in my own house, (laughs) not on myself, but you know, that's, that's another podcast.
1: Maybe we wouldn't eat so much. I'm just (laughs) thinking of that. That's probably not a good, probably actually an excellent idea. Yes. I love it. It's like
0: a late night snacking cookie puzzle and you can only get the Oreo out if you can solve the whole Rubik's cube
1: kind of thing. I like it. And it's like, then you'd become smart and thin. So it's, yes. it's a win. win <laughs>
0: This is a business idea, Karis. I think that we need to explore yes. it.
1: <laughs> Let's go. For, we'll, we'll chat after. Yeah, we'll chat. Yes. Oh,
0: thank you so much for being here with us today. And I know after all this amazing information, people are going to want to know all about you. And so where can they find you on social media or on the web?
1: My Instagram is my name. It's at Karis Nafty, which is K-A-R-I-S n a f t e we'll put all this in the show notes too okay and my website is who keeps which talks about my pet custody work so people can get in touch with me there and ask me any questions and yeah i'm happy to help
0: that's great. We, what such a wealth of information! I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And like I said, we'll put all sorts of links in the show notes and highlights about what we talked about today. I feel like this could be two podcasts because it was so much. In fact, maybe you'll have to come back again, and we could talk about cats or something because this was great. So I'd like to thank you. Talk about cats, hamsters, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hamsters, yeah, hamsters. How trainable are hamsters? Very. Yep. Amazing. They have their own little puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to thank Karis Nafty so much for all the information that she gave us. And thank you to everybody for tuning in the show. And we will see you all next time here at Life Hacks.